The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Beth Pinsker, financial planning columnist for Market Watch. And joining me today is Tanisa Gaines, who is tax manager for Token Tax, uh, which is a crypto accounting firm and also owner of her own tax practice, where she's an enrolled agent, which is a special certification given by the IRS. We're here today, today to talk about how to manage your investment taxes. Uh, welcome, Ty, and thanks so much for joining me today. Um, let's start with what's new for 2022. If you're filing your taxes now, what do you need to know about the investment portion of those taxes? Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Um, it's been a quiet year for investments, um, which is which is good. We, we like quiet. Um, there is one thing that I just noticed. Um, the capital gains rate for the 15% bracket actually is extended um, pretty wide this year. It's actually about a $14,000 difference almost from last year versus just a regular cost of living adjustment. Um, the 0% bracket is only up by a couple grand, like the normal inflationary move, but the 15% is actually pretty wide this year. So and what you're talking about is what income qualifies you to, to claim either 0%, 15%, or beyond that for higher incomes. Right, but it's 0, 15, and 20. Yeah, so we actually had a question from that already from the audience. So let's start there because some people, you know, they don't realize what you have to pay taxes on with an investment because if you haven't bought or sold anything in a given year, you still might owe taxes depending on what it is that you've bought or sold because you might get dividends, you might get a mutual fund, capital gains distribution, you might have all sorts of investment income that comes on a form and you don't understand it. Um, and then there's short-term versus long-term. So Shirley had a question about um, capital gains taxes and what qualifies as short-term and what qualifies as long-term. So let's start there. Okay, so short-term is less than a year. If you hold the, so most day traders are, are short-term um, because they buy and sell pretty much within, you know, the next day, next week. So within the same year, it's gonna be short-term and those are actually subject to your ordinary tax rates. So if you're in the 24% tax bracket, then short-term gains are taxed as the 24% bracket. Long-term gains, on the other hand, if you hold it longer than a year, um, are taxed at the lower capital gains rates of 0, 15, and 20%. But they're still based off your income. So pretty much 0% um, would be somewhere for a single person under 40-something thousand taxable and 80-something thousand married family jointly, you'll still be in zero. And then 15% will start after that, and it ends about 400 something, maybe even 500. It's, it's pretty high bracket. <laughs> and then anything over like 400 and something thousand is 20%. So if you're, those should give you like an idea of where you might fall for long-term gains. The short-term ones, like I said, are subject to your normal tax bracket. Right, and what you were saying before was that inflation has pushed up those income brackets for 2022. So less people will hit the 20% bracket than before. So there will be more people that luck up into the 15% bracket this year. 
Gotcha. So let's talk about the forms you need. People are filling out their tax returns for 2022 in this time period. Um, they have until April uh, to do that. And they're going to get tax forms from various institutions. What what are we looking for? What 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 do you want to come into your mailbox? If you have any interest paid, you should get a 1099 INT. Generally, um, banks uh, don't issue that unless the interest paid is over $10, um, but some do. Uh, but you would get that. And then obviously with the rates going up, it might actually hit over $10. Most people were so low in the past few years. They're like, no, I didn't really get anything. Um, even though if it's just $3, you are technically supposed to report that even if you don't get the form and you could probably get that off your last bank statement um, with your year to date interest paid. Uh, if you have dividend paying stocks, you may get a 1099 DIV for that. If the stocks are kind of held individually, you will generally get that DIV. If they're held in a brokerage, they may be on the 1099B. And that brokerage, if they pay the dividends, they'll list the interest, the dividends, and the capital gains on the 1099B. Most of those forms come out about February. So generally, someone with investments doesn't um, file too early. Uh, because they're waiting on the dividends and the capital gains um, from from any stock sales. I'm one of those people. <laughs> my <laughs> account says that mine's coming February 25th. So my accountant's bothering me to, to finish my taxes already. And I'm like, I, I can't get the last form until February 25th. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting on a couple too. They've uploaded almost all their documents, but those investment ones they're still waiting on. So, yeah. Um, so what about, um, let's talk about crypto for a second, because that's your area of expertise. Yeah, um, yeah how about crypto? <laughs> um, crypto keeps changing. So if we're looking for stuff that's new in the, in the tax code, where, what's going on with crypto this year? What are the big issues? Well, the main thing is that they're trying to regulate it, right? And it's not quite there yet. So they keep changing the question. Um, on the front page of the 1040, basically asking um, if you had crypto, but that, that question's changed so much to now they've realized how complex crypto is. So they're kind of asking, did you, did you do anything with crypto? <laughs> did you, did you stake it? Did you get awards? Did you get interest paid? Did you trade it? Um, so now they want to know if you, if you touch crypto really in, in any way um, at this point. Whereas before it was kind of vague and even tax professionals were like, so if you buy it and you don't sell it, do you not have to report it? You know, it's pretty clear now that pretty much if you're touching crypto, you should just probably mark yes to that box. Even if you didn't probably sell any, sometimes um, staking it is basically where you just kind of let, you know, an exchange or maybe even someone else hold that money and then pay you interest or rewards on that money. Then that is still reportable. So there's a lot going on with crypto. Um, and, and the thing with crypto is that it doesn't necessarily get the same forms that you'll get for your stocks. Um, some exchanges do issue the 1099s if it's over $600, but then they don't if it's not, um, but you're still supposed to report that. And then the, the trades for crypto do not come on a 1099B at this time. So you will have to use tax uh, crypto tax software to basically reconcile all of your trades, especially if you use multiple exchanges or wallets and you basically put them all in one place because they are reported on the 8949 just like stocks are. 
So you will need to probably purchase um, some software to get all of those transactions together for you. You will not get a nice little neat form from the exchanges as of yet. Right, especially from an exchange that might have gone out of business if you were one of those people, right? Especially from that one, <laughs> from those, I should say, because there were many last year. And so that's another issue that 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 we should bring up is that if you were if you were holding crypto in an exchange that failed or somehow lost control of it or it got stolen or or something, how do you claim that on your taxes? And can you even claim it? So a lot of times just like with everything in tax, it depends, right? So <laughs> facts and circumstances will determine if that is in, indeed something you can write off. After the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, they basically took away a lot of individual write-offs for um, investment. And so in most cases, unless you're a business, they probably cannot be written off. Um, there is certain requirements for Ponzi schemes. And if they meet that, they may be able to write that off on a Schedule A. They may be able to write off a non-business bad debt if the um, tokens are considered worthless. Right now, most of the failed exchanges from last year haven't really been determined worthless yet because they are going through the bankruptcy proceedings. So you almost have to wait to see if there's any recovery there before you can write off anything if you didn't actually sell those tokens. If you sold them, then you'll get your normal capital gain, capital loss, uh, depending on what you have from that token. So it's very complicated. A lot of people are like, oh, I have my money in this exchange, can I write it off? And it's like, yeah, hold on. We have to, we have to dig <laughs> a little deeper for that. Um, that's, uh, that sounds complicated. I mean, everything <laughs> with taxes are, <laughs> to be fair. That is true. <laughs> Um, well, let's break it down for people. And uh, just a reminder that we are taking questions today. So if you do have any questions, um, put them in uh, the chat and we will get to them in a few minutes, but I still have more questions of my own. So um, I'm gonna go ahead with those. Um, what I wanna know is when you get all these forms, what can you learn from them? What, like, cause maybe you, you think you're paying too much in taxes on your investments or you don't understand if you didn't buy or sell, you know, why you got taxed at all and you want to, you know, pay less. So when you look at these forms, like if you see your interest income, for instance, what can you surmise from that and try to do better for 2023 and, and lower your tax bill? So um, is, is, is lowering the tax bill the, the goal or is making money the goal? <laughs> I, I guess it kind of depends on what That's you're trying to do here. Um, so, um, you know, high interest basically means that you probably have a lot in savings. Um, and if that's the case, maybe you want to put it in some other investments and not just have it sitting in a normal savings account, right? Um, dividends would mean, you know, maybe you have invested in some high dividend paying stocks. And maybe if you don't have dividends, maybe you do want to look into some dividend paying stocks. Now, granted, you will pay taxes generally. On, on these items. Um, however, it's possible you don't. It just depends. <laughs> again, um, but but again, what is your goal? Are we trying to, to lessen our tax bill or are we trying to make money? In general, with capital gains, you do have a choice. As we discussed earlier, the short-term sales are going to be at probably a higher tax rate unless you're just in less than 15% anyway. So maybe holding those stocks long-term 
just even one more day, maybe paying attention to when you buy them and when you sell them um, can make a big difference. So a lot of times people see it tanking and they sell a lot of panic. And sometimes you just need to ride that wave out and let it sit and then maybe sell it later. And then it'll be at a long time rate. Right. Um, that's very good advice. So let's talk about people who have a lot of capital gains and think, yay, I'm a great investor because um, I have a lot of capital gains. And maybe the they're maybe they're just trading too much. Like maybe they're they're not maximizing the potential of what they've already owned. Like, do you ever see that in people that's that they're that they have a lot of transactions, but maybe they're not getting anywhere? Yes. And, you know, post-COVID, everyone jumped into the market. The whole GameStop, AMC thing had everyone believing they could be a millionaire from stock sales, right? Um, and most often than not, there were just tons of transactions and the net was actually zero. Um, and it was crazy to see like a million dollars, you know, in proceeds and then, you know, a million dollars in losses. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, that is a whole lot of trading for nothing. Um, so we do want to be careful with investing. It's not as easy as people think it is. Everyone wants to become a millionaire, but what you really want to do <laughs> is do your research and kind of invest in some of these long-term stocks that, that are here for the long term and uh, let, let those pay out either in dividends or just something that you bought for $2 and you later sell 10 years from now for 200 you know, there, there are plenty of stocks like that. If you have, if you get those forms and you see that you have a lot of tax gains and you think, oh, wow, I should have sold something for a loss to offset those gains. It's now, you know, February. Can you do anything about that? No, tax loss harvesting, <laughs> which is selling, you know, stocks that have lost value to offset gains usually has to be, well, not usually, does have to be done by December 31st of the tax year. So if you wait until you're actually getting your tax documents together to realize that it's too late. You definitely want to look at tax loss harvesting at the end of the tax year to kind of see what does my portfolio look like? Did I have a lot of gains? Do I have some stocks that are just not making any money? Um, then maybe I'll sell those and offset. I mean, I personally sold crypto on 1231. I looked at my, <laughs> at my tax situation because, you know, this is, this is what we do. We're enrolled agents here. We look at our own taxes too before the year ends. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. <laughs> oh, I'm going to owe a lot of money. Let me see what I can sell. And because with capital gains and capital losses, there's an extra little rule there where you can take an extra $3,000 to offset ordinary income. Usually capital losses offset capital gains first but then you can take an additional 3,000 off. So I was looking for that extra 3,000 to offset my ordinary income because I, I actually didn't have any gains. Last year was kind of a, a bad year for stocks and crypto. That's for sure. Um, you mentioned the enrolled agent thing and I wanted to, I, I don't know how many people understand what an enrolled agent is. And when you're looking for a tax preparer, why would you want to look for an enrolled agent and why is that important? I thought that would be a good question to, to touch upon because a lot of people just have never even heard that. That That's correct, Beth. And I'm glad you asked because it is good to um, inform people that enrolled agents are America's tax experts. We are actually, unlike CPAs, we are actually licensed by the U.S. Treasury Department to represent taxpayers before all levels of the IRS in all 50 states and D.C. 
So we have a, quite a bit of things that we can do besides tax preparation. We are usually those that do a lot with representing clients in audits and reviewing letters and helping them respond to the IRS. So we are, we are your go-to person for, for mm -hmm. tax prep and all of our experience and education is strictly tax. So there's, there, there could be a problem there if you actually need bookkeeping and accounting work and we may or may not do that because we come from different backgrounds. So we can tell you that, but we have plenty of friends, many CPA friends, <laughs> many bookkeeping friends. Um, so we can kind of share that around, but we, we definitely specialize in tax. So if you're out there looking for somebody to do your taxes and they have the initials EA after their name, that's a good indication that they have some sort of special training rather than just put up a shingle and say, I can do your taxes? Yes, it actually does. We are licensed by the Treasury Department. We have to take a three-part exam and pass that, and we have to maintain continuing education and tax annually, at least 24 hours by, by the IRS standards. But if you belong to um, National Association of Enrolled Agents, we actually require 30 hours right now. So it's actually um, someone who's who's an EA is, is studying up on the current tax laws, too, which is what you want because they do change a lot. Uh, yes, they do. Um, all right, so let's take a few questions from the audience. Um, Kevin asks about uh, non-qualified stock options. Ew, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Kevin executed some non-qualified stock options, um, which many people uh, do in a particular year. Mm -hmm. um, the capital gains he's saying showed up both on his W-2 and his 1099-B, which doubled his income. And he wants to know if how he goes about um, eliminating the double taxation. So the point, it is actually in two places, but it is actually not taxable in both places if it's done correctly. So the 1099-B should issue the proceeds, but you should have either a form from your employer basically saying what you paid for those stocks, or there should be an adjustment made that basically puts the cost basis of those stocks and offsets the gain. So you would just pay capital gains on the difference between um, your basis in that stock and the sale of that stock. You are not paying ordinary income on the sale and on the income that you receive. So the W-2 is already taxed on ordinary income um, and you should have some box on your W-2 basically saying what that amount is. But the, the 1099-B does have to be reported on the Schedule D, but it should only be the capital gain, which is the difference between the basis and the stock. It should not be the entire amount. Now that now we know why you need all that extra education. <laughs> Yes, and I, they are a lot because you have to tell the client, I need this form, I need that form because we have to determine that basis. Yeah, the, um, the complications of these questions are, are boggling. Um, <laughs> here's another one from Jim. Um, how do I pay taxes on an irrevocable trust as, if I haven't received any of the forms? So I don't know what forms they're referring to. Would he need a 1099 or something from a trust? It, does depend on what the trust has in it. Uh, that's really a vague question because trust can hold all types of assets. Um, who, I don't know who the executor of the trust is and where those forms would come from, um, but I would suggest uh, looking for an enrolled agent, obviously that specializes in trust, 
because they are very different. People set them up. Attorneys tell people you need a trust. Some people put their houses in it. Some people put stocks in it. Some people, it, it's, it's so wide um, that it's hard to tell what's in it. So you would need someone who kind of specializes in that to tell you what you're looking for. But you would have to file that return by April 14th of this year if the trust um, probably, if it, if it does exist. Okay, good one. Um, we have a more general one from Ralph, which is, um, what is the best way to reduce your investment taxes when retired? Um, he has most of his money in 401k savings. And so those would have to start coming out with required minimum distributions once he hits 73. And then those are taxed as ordinary income. So what do you do to get around that? So it's really hard to get around it later. Um, you could do a Roth conversion and take the hit, you know, all at once. And then everything else would be tax-free after. So it kind of depends on your situation and how much income you have now. And if you even want to do that type of conversion. Um, but once that income is coming out, you're basically going to pay taxes on on those distributions. The problem with it is you didn't pay tax up front, so now you pay it in retirement. So the one thing you could do if you are working or you have additional income is maybe reduce that if you have enough to live off with your retirement to actually reduce your actual tax bracket. I don't even know if that's possible. A lot of times in retirement, people have social security, they have a retirement check, they have their investments. And like Beth said, if, it, if you're at an age where you have to take them out, that's where you are. But I would suggest um, actually talking to a financial advisor about something like that, because it's not moving the investments around. is not really the, the tax question here because those investments are taxable, <laughs> but how you can maybe move those around and change that would be something a financial advisor could probably assist you. Yeah. And that's where the, um, in retirement, that's where those income brackets would have the most impact, right? Because mm -hmm. those income brackets are going to affect how much tax you pay and also your social security and how all of those that things. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's going to be very important. All right. We have a question from Steve um, who said um, that if the long-term uh, capital gains tax rate for 2023 is 0%, if you make less than 44,625. And thank you for looking that up, Steve. Looked it up. <laughs> um, he wants to know if he sells stocks, does the capital gain get figured into the taxable income of 4465 or is it separate? So like, is the 4465 just your earned income no, or does that also include your total income, your adjusted, all of it? It's all in there. So Okay, so if you sold $5,000 in stock, and made forty thousand dollars, you'd be over the forty-four. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, you um, have to fit under that. Um, well, it's actually taxable income, I believe, that the capital gains rates are based off of, not adjusted gross income. So, but okay. it does look at all of your income and then hits that taxable number. If I recall, I think that is, I think it's taxable. So not AGI. So it's possible you're still under it um, after you take standard deduction, itemized deduction, things like that. Gotcha. Um, but that's another thing that if you're worried about that, find out before you do it, right? If, if you're going to, if, if selling something is going to push you over a, a, an income bracket limit and it's going to cost you instead of 0% tax, it's going to cost you 15% tax, something you want to know before you make the transaction, right? 
again, talking to tax professionals, financial advisors, it's, it's amazing how people refuse to pay uh, these professionals to assist them, but then they make decisions that will cost more than what they would have paid a professional to advise them. That is true. Um, <laughs> you guys are worth your money. Um, <laughs> so we have a question from Bob um, who asks, um, what's the best, me best method for determining a Roth conversion from an existing IRA? Um, if you don't want to go into a higher tax bracket or want to increase your Medicare premiums, which is something we hadn't mentioned any either um, at this point. So thanks, Bob, for bringing that up because uh, a Roth conversion will also not just increase your taxes, but also might increase your Medicare um, premiums for the year. Which are based with, a, with an income surcharge. Yeah, yep, it is. And so you have to look at that. So are you trying to save money now or are you trying to save money later? Again, everything is more about facts and circumstances and what your goal is. Are you more concerned with, you know, the Medicare premium for one year? Because, it, you know, the next year it could go down if you, you know, release all of your investments, right? So again, talking to someone and planning these things out for, should I do something in the short term that will affect me in the long term? Or should I just sit tight and roll with what I'm doing? It's all math. It's all something that has to be done and, and assessed. And again, what is your goal? Are we worried about taxes? Are we worried about income for the future? Are we worried about long-term tax-free income? You know, what, what are we doing here? And I think that's why you need to talk to, you know, a financial planner and say, hey, this is what my goal is. And then they can help assess if that makes sense. And then you need to talk to a tax professional and say, all right, if I do this Roth conversion, how bad is that going to hurt me tax-wise? And you have to look at that and say, I'm going to pay $20,000 in taxes. Is that going to be worth my long-term savings? At what point do I break even? Um, so there's there's a lot to consider um, with things like that. It may, it may not make sense. When he's talking about, when Bob is talking about the best method for determining that, a financial planner will run that through a calculator. Right. And so and, and you as a tax professional would run that through like a sample tax for next year, basically. Yeah, we have planners. <laughs> yeah, we have tax planners in the software and we can kind of say, hey, you know, you make 50,000 now, but if you converted 100K, now you're making 150K. That's jumped you up a few tax brackets, you know, so we can look at that. And again, like I said, if it just makes sense in the short term, maybe you came into some money. And you can just pay off that tax bill this year, and then knowing your future income is going to be much lower. Uh, it's very possible that it, it applies to some people, and it may not apply to others. Um, that is uh, that is excellent advice. Um, we have a question from William about gifting stock. Um, so, if, if you've gifted stock that has appreciated, do you use the closing price? Um, or do you use uh, uh, a mean of the high and the low? I actually don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I do not. I do not do gift gifting or stock appreciation stuff. Sorry, <laughs> that's one no uh, out of this my wheelhouse. There, I do know that if you gift more than sixteen thousand dollars, you have to file a gift tax return. Um, in terms of what number is being used there, I don't know, and I'm not sure if the forms actually indicate uh, fair market value, because 
generally that's what's viewed um, of the stock at the time. So yeah, again, and that could be that could be really tricky too. Is it, you know, gifted stock that was gifted from a deceased individual? Was it gifted from someone alive? Like there's various things there that you would have to look at, but I honestly can't answer that question. So I apologize. Well, we will uh, look up the answer for William and we will get back to him. <laughs> so that's uh, that's what professionals do, right? That's that um... is what we do. When we don't, when clients <laughs> ask us those questions that are kind of out of the wheelhouse, we have to research them. We talk to other colleagues and we, we get the answer. Yeah. Um, so when you are looking at all of these tax questions and all the tax forms that are coming in, how much of it is about when you meet with clients is about getting the tax form done for this year and how much of it is about tax planning for the, for the next year? Like, how do you, how do you use one to, to get better for the next year? So in most cases, this time of the year is completely tax prep. It's like, Hey, give me the documents. And then what I do is send little notes, like, Hey, let's talk after the season about these things um, to change, unless there's something that they need to do immediately, like W4 withholding, I have a lot of clients who, especially on retirement, retirement does not take a lot of withholding out because it is when people are retired. And so when you have like large military clientele, like I do, they retire at 40, they get another job. They're still in a very high tax bracket and they have this retirement check as well. That's taken out like $3,000 on 40 grand. And it's definitely not enough. So many of them are owing taxes, right? So a lot of times what I say is, you know, most of the culprit is that your retirement's not taking enough out because it's expecting you to be retired and you're not. <laughs> so change that now. So there are some things I'm like, change now because waiting till May will mean five months have gone past where they could have adjusted the withholding. But for most cases and for a lot of business owners, when they're like, oh, should I purchase this? You know, should I pay this, ch change my payroll? How much more can I put in retirement if I do X, Y, and Z? Those things are usually done after the tax season for the clients that need them. Excellent. Um, well, our last question is from Lee, and it's a crystal ball question because Lee wants to know what direction you think Congress is moving in for taxes. Um, do you think capital gains rates are going to increase? Do you think um, tax brackets are going to increase? Do you think tax rates are going to go up or down or which like? So see us into the future. Right. So that's a good, good, good question. So let me explain what's happening right now. So right now we are part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was um, passed in 2017 and it ends in 2025. And that is the, it, it did many things, but one of the things it did was adjust the schedule A to where many people no longer itemize because it limited their taxes that one could take on a tax return to $10,000, regardless of how many taxes they paid. And that's called the SALT tax. Um, that has been under fire since it passed, right? Many states have been like, let's repeal this SALT tax. Let's repeal this. It is set to expire in 2025, but it is possible. There's always a bill trying to get it to expire now that something like that expires now. It also, the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act increased the standard deductions, right? So they're very high right now um, and they could change um, if Congress was to change something beforehand. Otherwise, they're set to revert back to 2017 um, rates 
plus inflation um, in 2020 after 2025. So we have to think about what's currently there. There are certain things, bonus depreciation, certain things that are already set to expire, right? Already in 2025, assuming there are no changes made prior to that. So I think if they're going to change anything, they may address those things, the SOC tax and the Schedule A issues with standard deductions. They got rid of exemptions with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. A lot of people would like to see those come back. AMT is something that kind of disappeared, except for that person with the non-qualified stock <laughs> options. <laughs> kind of disappeared for a while because of the higher standard deduction and few people itemizing and taking you know, 40,000 in taxes when they're limited to 10. So I think that some of those changes may bring back AMT, which is an alternative minimum tax to make sure everyone pays a certain amount of tax. And it's interesting, people, they're not using that term anymore because it's not happening, but it, it could come back. So what we have to be careful of, even if I can't see what's going to change, is that any change for one thing could bring back something else. And I know a lot of people would like to see the unreimbursed business expenses come back on the Schedule A for people that are working from home. Um, so I think, and I'm not psychic, but I would like to be, um, that <laughs> any, any attention given to tax changes may be to the Schedule A issue and not necessarily well, capital gains, except for regulation for crypto itself and possibly determining if crypto uh, qualifies for wash sales. Um, that, that could be something that comes up investment-wise. But I don't see... Uh, they passed the Secure Act 2.0, which has a lot to do with retirement and and things like that. And I think those things are going to start taking place over over time. And that's probably the most they're going to kind of do with uh, with with investing, so to speak. Um, it's kind of let that Secure Act uh, play out. Well, we'll have to have you back on and see uh, if, if all your predictions come true. Yeah, that would um, be yeah, They do bring me back. <laughs> I should have played the lottery uh, well, if they do, though. So. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, well, thank you for being here today. That's all the time we have. Um, and thanks to our audience for tuning in and for asking great questions. We hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Barron's deputy editor, Alex Yule, and his associate editor for technology, Eric Savitz, will discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thanks again for listening today, and stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.